This is the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Making his way to the podcasting ring. Hailing from the heart of Cajun country. It's me. It's me. It's the world famous CD. Let's ring the bell and get this party started off right. And welcome everyone to the Cajun Strong Style Podcast, 1037 The Game's exclusive pro wrestling podcast. Appreciate you listening in. However, you listen through your favorite podcast. Hope you had a great weekend. Obviously, a lot of pro wrestling to get to. It was probably one of the busiest weeks on record for this podcast, and it is episode 78. And I want to start off looking at probably one of the most controversial two words that has gotten a lot of love over the last year, but at the same time has been a pain in the neck for a lot of different people, namely the WWE. And that's the two words in pro wrestling that's gotten people more interested and probably is made the world of pro wrestling made sure it's probably gonna, never going to be the same again. And that's these two words forbidden door. Of course, those two words were coined by Tony Khan after establishing partnerships with impact wrestling, the national wrestling Alliance, and eventually new Japan, just to name a few. And honestly, it made the sport of professional wrestling better And for the first time in several years, you noticed there was an air of unpredictability. You never knew who would pop up on what show. You have John Moxley after he wins his match at All Out. All of a sudden, you've got Minoru Suzuki showing up and people are losing their ever-loving mind over it. And then you see those two fight on Dynamite. Then you see Brian Danielson fight Minoru Suzuki on YouTube, on freaking YouTube. How about that kind of stuff? Then you get... A lot of other guys, they show up in AEW. Kenta, as I mentioned, Suzuki, Hikaleo, Lulu Pencil, the list goes on and on and on. Even Gallows and Anderson were a major part of the Elite storyline in 2021. Over on Impact, you had guys like Kenny Omega, Private Party, Christian Cage, and others pop up here and there on Impact Wrestling as well. You started to hear about the Forbidden Door be used almost to a, a meme status over an Impact. Like anybody who was coming over from WWE or any other promotion that was considered unlocking the forbidden door to let these people in. Case in point, the inspiration. Then you also you had several key guys from Ring of Honor show up on Hard to Kill this past weekend, namely Ian Riccoboni, Jonathan Gresham, the OGK. We'll get to Hard to Kill, by the way, because I've got some thoughts on some of the matches that happened this weekend on the card. And all the stuff that we had happened this week is we had like about 20 different shows that were absolutely fantastic i'm not gonna get into day three of you know wrestle kingdom because honestly day three was kind of that filler arc if you will it was that new year's dash type thing where you get to see yes you get to see you know new japan versus noah which was a really cool angle but honestly it left a lot to be desired a lot of tag team matches not necessarily my favorite thing in the world but we'll get to some of the matches of the week it was to be a new feature on this podcast and it's been fun because it's pretty much guaranteed you'll get more eyes on the product for your brand. That said, I think the term Forbidden Door has officially jumped the shark. When I heard it on WWE programming on SmackDown Friday night, they announced that Mickey James, the current Impact Knockouts champion, would be a part of the Royal Rumble. Pat McAfee mentioned it. Also mentioning the Impact Knockouts champion, acknowledging that and bringing up the Forbidden Door. It's a lot like when your parents say, you know, the the fresh word of the day. And, you know, I'm 32, almost 33 years old. If I say on fleek, I guarantee you 
that word doesn't sound cool anymore. And it's it, that's exactly what happened when the WWE decided, oh, okay, we're going to go ahead and, and pirate this word to where we're going to do the Forbidden Door thing, which, mind you, they were doing in the past. You wound up seeing back in the days of like the mid-90s when they weren't necessarily the biggest name in the world. They were working with ECW, partnering with AAA, also doing some stuff with the National Wrestling Alliance, like with Jeff Jarrett and Dan Severn, all those guys. You want up have and you know Jim Cornette. You want up having those things pop up, and that made things a little bit better because it wound up giving you newer stars. Eventually, you use those guys to get you up to a higher level. But you got announced for the Royal Rumble, and. This is just a whole can of worms to kind of unpack. So I'm going to go ahead and take a step-by-step. When we talk about Mickey James, and it, I'm just going to come right, right out and say there's no need for fan theories or any impacts being bought up by WWE stuff on this. This is straight up just a means to an end when it comes right down to it because there was just this realization when you think about WWE where they decide, oh, wait, we they realize, you know, it's Rumble season. We've got a 30-woman Royal Rumble that we've been promoting every year since 2018. We can't not do a show. And fast forward to today, or Friday night, they're like, oh crap, we need to fill this team because we barely have enough bodies because either we've released everybody else that's worth it or a lot of those bodies that are out of action due to injury. You got Sasha Banks, she's out for the next four to six weeks, likely going to miss a good chunk of Mania season, hopefully being back in time for the show of shows, but who knows how she fits into the mix. And then obviously Bailey. Bailey's nowhere near ready to return to the ring after her injury. She'll probably be back during that post-mania time. So you need to fill it with bodies and Hall of Famers. It's definitely reminiscent of that 2018 Rumble where you want up seeing a lot of legends show up and that want up getting a good legends pop. Trust me, I love the idea of that. That said, they ruined a golden opportunity, if I'm going to be honest they ruined a golden opportunity to have this be a surprise. I understand this is probably part of the deal. Hey, you know, you mention us on your programming. That way you get more eyes on our pay-per-view that's coming up on Saturday. This is going to be the main event of the show, which we'll talk, we'll talk about that match in a little bit because I've got some thoughts. But you do that, you pretty much take away one of the best parts of a Royal Rumble every single year. The surprise appearances and the returns. Like, imagine in 2020. Now, of course, you wind up seeing people post videos and leaks. That's different. But let's just say, hypothetically, the WWE announced Edge was coming out of retirement and building it up like they did for Batista when he came back in 2014 and won it. Edge's return would have been spoiled. Everybody would know, and that pop would still be there but it wouldn't hit nearly as well as it did when he came back in 2020. That shocking moment was one of the best moments in Rumble history, only behind, in my mind, Ric Flair winning in 92 and the post-match promo that came with it. It's because of the surprise. It's one of the best things about pro wrestling. Yes, we all know it's predetermined. We all know this. And when we watch it, we occasionally want to be surprised. We want to be shocked when... One of two things happens. Either somebody returns or we get to see this massive, you know, 
surprise pop up where we never thought this person was going to come back in a million years. And they do that. They announce you, they announce it to you ahead of time. It's going to be a pop, but it won't be nearly as thunderous because the surprise has been spoiled. Go back to AJ Styles in 2016. That was another great Royal Rumble moment. My Joe's ruined because of crappy production and somebody probably got fired for that. You know, Kevin Dunn should have been fired for that from Jump Street. But AJ Styles' debut, they kind of sort of teased it, but they didn't outright say, hey, he was going to be showing up at the Rumble. It planted a seed of surprise. And when AJ showed up, people lost their ever-loving minds. And that was a great moment, and it sold something. But you kill the intrigue of it. Now, of course, again, going back to the partnership between Impact and WWE, this might be just a one-off thing. Maybe Mickey James gets inducted into the Hall of Fame. It's kind of a make good for what happened last year after she got released, which brings you to another point. Why would Mickey even agree to do this after the way she was unceremoniously fired the second time around during the post-WrestleMania spring cleaning after Mania 37? Why would she go back where she was essentially received all of her belongings in one trash bag? You were kind of sent off with a bunch of other guys in that post-WrestleMania time that everybody kind of just wondered what the hell was going on. I mean, you acknowledge that publicly and then you turn around less than a year later this happens. It's a little weird. But again, going back to that relationship, I can understand it because it helped promote Hard to Kill and sold a lot of intrigue about, oh, wait, is Mickey going to be showing up at the Royal Rumble with a knockouts title? Spoilers, she did win and she is going to be going to the Royal Rumble, presumably, because we don't know what's going to happen at the tapings over the next few weeks, show up with the knockouts title, or at least it's acknowledged that he is, she is the current knockouts champion for another promotion. Maybe they see another angle where it's a mini invasion of sorts to where we see impact and ring of honor pop up for a little bit to get some of that rub, like an ECW quote unquote invasion in 97. There's something to set to be said about that. There's always going to be a good relationship with some of these smaller promotions because they know they're going to get a good rub. It's not quite like what we saw with the relationship between TNA and AEW to a certain extent, because AEW was getting all the rub. Impact, not so much. Ring of Honor is going to get a bigger rub if they show up there. Or who knows how it's all going to go, because we only know about this one thing. And I feel like that's what it is. It's just going to be this one thing. Nowhere near time for us to say, hey, we're going to see a big invasion angle somewhere down the road. No, I think this is just a one-off. This is something that can set up a make good where Mickey James is inducted into the Hall of Fame in 2022, and she absolutely deserves it. But who knows? I don't think we'll ever really know the full story, because after all, Bruce Pritchard will probably never talk about this on his podcast, and I'm sure people like Scott Demore or even Mickey James are kind of tied to a NDA non-disclosure agreement where they're not going to be able to talk about this. It's just... It's going to be interesting to see how all that goes and see how this relationship either changes and evolves over time or it's just this one-off thing and then we kind of move on. All right, let's go ahead and get into a new feature here on the podcast. This is something I've been wanting to do for a while. As many of you know, I like to rate matches and more importantly, I watch a ton of wrestling. So I decided to pull up a list of every week 
and then maybe eventually at the end of the year or the first show of 2023, I'll unveil my top five matches of the year because I'll be keeping a running list of some of my favorite matches from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. Full disclosure, we are not going to be including a match that I mentioned during last week's podcast, the WWE Day One show, New Day versus the Usos. That was a phenomenal opener and it was four stars, but doesn't fall into this category. I'll just give that shout out right now. And then I'll get into the actual stuff. And there will be definitely an AEW slant in this because that had some of the best wrestling that I saw this week. And we start off with, obviously, the big one. Daniel Bryan, Hangman Adam Page, Numero Dos. And this was just as good, if not better, than the first time around. These two absolutely killed. The fact they did this as an opener again was so damn cool. And then obvious also you have the fact it's you feature the judges and the judges aren't, you know, newer guys. Like there was a rumor Max Castro was one of them. No, you wound up having Mark Henry, Big Show, and Jerry Lynn be your special guest like judges. And having that meant there was an air of, you know, like that old school feel. Like how they set up the whole Terry Funk angle with Ric Flair back in the day. This was exactly what we wanted. And these two knocked out of the park. This was a five links of Buddha match in my ranking list. This was a masterpiece and a half because it showed something that I think we've been missing from Hangman during this early part of his reign because he hasn't wrestled all that much since he's won the title. He's only had two matches. The first one he has against Brian Danielson, was a damn good match, but it ended on a 60-minute Broadway. Which is always an interesting conversation to have about why they did it that way. Now, of course, it would have been more interesting to see maybe them do another match, not have judges, and it go another 60-minute Broadway, and then it builds to Revolution where there must be a winner. Because again, I think it'd be great to see a Punk versus Joe-esque trilogy with Danielson versus Page, that'd be fun. But obviously, that's kind of not the plan. Eventually, the plan is probably to get Hangman Page versus MJF somewhere down the road, maybe a rematch with Kenny Omega if he's going to be back. And if Hangman does lose the title at any point anytime soon, there's a lot of stories that are going to be told over the next several weeks and months to lead us to that finish line. But this really established Hangman Adam Page as a mega star in AEW. He was already a star, but the fact that he was able to show that he could hang with Brian Danielson and dish out as much punishment and he was dish out as much punishment as he was taking that speaks to me as a fan of just seeing dudes beat the tar out of each other cuz that's what wrestling is at the end of the day. It's people just absolutely getting into fights and beating the tar out of each other. And this was one of those. They were both busted open. You saw them sell like crazy. Gotched out pile driver while Brian was looking at freaking Jerry Lynn. That entire match was an instant classic. And, you know, Uncle Dave didn't give this a five, but I got to give this a five straight up. This was one of the best matches I've seen from AEW. And again, Brian Danielson keeps putting on these bangers. I don't think he's had a bad match in AEW. 
but this one was far and away another classic AW Dynamite title match. And the champion is looking so much better because the future is brighter now because you weren't necessarily sold on page. He managed to get that big win over Kenny after almost two years, but he's never been that guy to be known as big match. Like we, they, it's been memeable with John Cena. He's been called the big match. John. Now he is big match page. And that's something that's going to resonate with a lot of fans. Because now you'll know, Hey, he can get this big win over this big opponent. Let's see what happens with him the rest of the way. Let's see how he develops as a champion. Because there's still plenty of time for them to kind of screw this up. It's always the case of somebody screwing something up. Another match I'll throw into the fire here is a match that was rated over five stars. It cracked the five star scale at Wrestle Kingdom 16, night two. Kazuchika Okada versus Will Ospreay. I'll just go ahead and give it the straight up five links of Boone. This was a good match. Not necessarily their best match, but it was still really good stuff. The story being told in the ring was fantastic. And I the fact you have it in the Tokyo Dome, and this was to determine who the undisputed New Japan World Heavyweight Champion is, which, by the way, I'm still not a fan of the belt, but seeing Okada take that belt from Osprey was a great moment. Seeing him beat Shingo in night one, which was really good. That's a phenomenal one. Absolutely. Okada deserves everything he's been getting. And being in Wrestle Kingdom main events like he has been, it's deserved. I'm intrigued to see what's going to happen next with Okada going forward. Who's going to be the next guy to step up to him? Who's gonna, Who could very well be the guy that dethrones the Rainmaker now that he is back into that full Rainmaker mode? Then we got to go over to this past Saturday. In fact, this is being taped on a Sunday night, almost Monday morning. And I was blown away by the content on Saturday night. And it's all three of these matches took place on Saturday night. And I had to watch one of them on Sunday. So we're going to go ahead and go to Battle of the Belts first. Sammy Guevara, Dustin Rhodes. This was a four and a half Lisa Boudin type match for me. This was so damn good. Yes, there were some complaints online about, you know, there not being as many disqualifications and being very loose rules. Here's my counterpoint on that. I'd much rather a match for the title. Again, this is something that I'm just going to say. If it's for the title, I get it. Because then you have to have a winner. You can't just have the match end on a disqualification, especially for an interim championship, which also I love the idea of an interim championship. It speaks to the professionalism of wrestling versus, oh, hey, let's just go ahead and do what's been done in the past. Let's go ahead and just keep doing what we've been doing. This was the right thing to do. And this is the first situation where AEW has had to do something like this because Cody was a close contact to somebody who tested positive for COVID-19. He's only going to be out for a few weeks. When he comes back, he can have a title shot against Sammy Guevara. And we get to see them run this back. And maybe Sammy actually does get the win over Cody and gets that big-time rub and becomes the undisputed TNT champion. I love the idea of interim championships in wrestling. And this is the reason why. This is a match that was done on probably about 24 to 48 hour notice, all of a sudden you find out Cody can't wrestle. So Sammy gets in with Dustin Rhodes, who is 
old, but he can still freaking go. He was damn near going 100 miles an hour, hitting Canadian destroyers, hitting incredible spots throughout the match. This was one of my favorite matches of the week that wasn't five stars. This was a phenomenal start to finish type match. A Canadian destroyer through a table on the outside in 2022 by Dustin Rhodes blew my mind. These two went at it. Really good storytelling as well. Because at certain points, Sammy kept selling the knee. He couldn't quite get off the 630. The only thing I didn't like about it was the fact that there were a lot of false finishes. The GTH didn't get a kick out. That was something that I just sat there. I was like, why the hell are we doing this? But Sammy eventually does get the victory with a roll-up after a really cool roll-up exchange, even though it looked like gold, uh, excuse me, I almost called him gold dust. Listen to me. Dustin Rhodes looked like he kicked out. He was kind of flailing. But but you wound up seeing Sammy hold the interim championship, which again, it was well done. The story being told was good. I got to give that four and a half leagues to Boudin. I was sports entertained. We'll also throw in number four here. And again, this is no particular order. I got to go with the Riho versus Dr. Brent Baker DMD. I'll give it four links to Buddha. But this one very much was a fringe. Really good wrestling, really good storytelling where, you know, Riho was outclassed and kind of having to deal with two people on the outside while also dealing with Brent Baker. That story being told was great. Yes, not everybody was a huge fan of the fact you had, you know, Reba continually find her way into things. And it goes back to what I was saying about disqualifications in AEW. You don't see it nearly as often. You saw it happen this past Wednesday, but I think they want to keep those to a minimum when it comes to championship matches. The rules are a little bit more relaxed because at the end of the day, they want to know who the one true winner is versus, oh, hey, this person wins by disqualification. We just run it back six months down the road or run it back the next period. That's something that I think AEW is trying to avoid because that means when they do these things, when they do, you know, put angles together, you start to question what the hell is going on with pro wrestling. Go look at WWE. They always do these weird disqualification finishes on TV just to set up the pay-per-view. I think AEW treats their fans with some modicum of respect and they respect their intelligence to say, hey, let's go ahead and have it be the best champion. It's not all no DQ, but having, especially title matches, having it be of more relaxed rules. I love that idea. And speaking of title matches, not relaxed rules. This was strict, pure rules. The impact hard to kill match between Jonathan Gresham and Chris Saban for the ROH world championship, the old school one. This was a masterpiece and a love letter to not only the X division of old, but also, you know, pure wrestling. Chris Saban, Jonathan Grisham put on a banger just to finish alone. Go check that out. If you want to know how, you know, ring psychology is and see how back and forth this thing can be and how it's just so sudden when somebody can get a win. These two just put together a banger of a match. And that's what you kind of expect, especially with a guy like Gresham who has single-handedly been one of my favorite guys to watch over the last two years since ROH came back from the pandemic with the pure tournament. He's been one of those guys I've enjoyed watching. He 
catches your attention. Now, mind you, of course, he catches your attention just because of his ring attire. I've gotten people bring up out of context. All of a sudden, they see him wearing the Kraken mask or the octopus mask, and he you're like, what the hell is he doing? They're intrigued by him. That's people that aren't wrestling fans. That's very casual fans seeing that. And I love the fact we're seeing Gresham get this platform to defend the ROH world title in different promotions. Eventually, he's going to defend his in Terminus. Maybe we'll finally get to see an undisputed champion whenever Super Card of Honor happens, if that happens at all, because I think that's the end game here. Because ROH, a lot like what happened with the TNT title and Battle for the Belts, they're stuck between a rock and a hard place and have to make the decision to have Bandito off the card due to COVID. And you have to kind of make shift the card. Why not put Gresham versus Lethal, which was a great main event to final battle. More importantly, a great end of an era for that promotion. But this was a four and a quarter Link Abunam match. Just so solid. And I'll throw out an ARV honorable mention here. And it's going to be controversial because I think a lot of people love this match a lot more than I did. And that's the Mickey James Deanna Prazo Texas death match. It was fine for what it was, but wasn't at the level that I thought it needed to be. I thought it would have been a lot better suited as kind of one of those quick get your bleep in matches, but it just didn't hit. It didn't work well for me, in my personal opinion. I can be completely off base on that, but that's where I kind of stood my ground on what I saw from Impact Wrestling in that main event. It was a little bit slow. It just didn't work all that well in the long run. Perazzo got some good shots in, really great spots. You know, Mickey James just continually landing into the thumbtacks, bumping like crazy. She was busted open. Again, a lot of really great stuff came out of that match. But I just did not like how it overall went. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I'll just put it that way. It wasn't my cup of tea. And I'm a big fan of those kind of matches. We wound up seeing one, a tag team match on AEW Rampage where it was no DQ, no holds barred. And that was done really well. The Texas death match just felt like it deserved better. That's just my opinion. It deserved a little bit better. Hopefully we get to see a better Texas death match or maybe a rematch down the road between these two. But as of right now, it looks like this was the payoff and compared to their bound for glory match, which I honestly liked a lot more. This hit just a rank below where I want to put these top five matches of the week, which I always want these to be four or above. That's what the barometer is for these. Because if it's a three and three quarters, it might get in on a on a light week. But whenever you have bangers like what you had this week, it's tough for a hard-to-kill match main event between Mickey James and Deanna Prazo for the Knockouts Championship to basically, as WB2K22 wants to say, hit different. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the podcast talking about I think, honestly, a topic that needed to be talked about for a while is the death of the black and gold NXT. And I think now we can officially say it's gone. 
it's gone forever. They know bringing this thing back because of a lot of things. Number one, you have Braun Breaker beat Tommaso Ciampa, which was inevitable. And honestly, I love the idea of that because I think he is an absolute beast in the ring. Why not give him this opportunity to be the guy in NXT? You're going to have him be a top champion in the next like two to three years. Why not go ahead and just pull the trigger now? Is he has all those intangibles. He's not just a second generation talent. He has that natural it factor that a lot of guys nowadays in NXT are missing. And I think he has that potential to be in the next two to three years, a WWE champion and possibly a mania main eventer in about five years time. As long as he doesn't go the route of, you know, Scott Steiner and kind of go off the rails. But from what I've seen of him, he's been the guy that I've absolutely loved seeing. But it marked the end of an era in more ways than one because you wind up seeing later on the week. And this sucks, by the way, seeing a lot of these guys get let go. Gabe Sapolsky, seeing William Regal, seeing, you know, Samoa Joe getting let go again, seeing Road Dog getting let go. It was tough to see because these were all guys that are. Triple H dudes, Triple H people, and people that helped build this golden era of NXT. And you saw a lot of other guys get released this week as well. I know uh, Danny Birch, he got released. You saw Grizzly Young Vets get released, which sucks. Because those two absolutely killed it for NXT, especially in this kind of, you know, transitional period. So it was tough to see all that. But again, it's a necessary evil because now NXT can truly be the NXT now, the new 2.0. And it's well past time for that. It's been building since after SummerSlam when Nick Khan basically said, we're moving in this direction. We're going to have a new relaunch. It's going to be a new look, a new feel. Now it's more of a true, I hate to say it, because what, NXT was when it started in 2010 was a game show. Then when it came back in like 2014 or so was on the network and in 2016, they really developed it into being a triple a squad. This is definitely, I'd say double a to single a ball type league. And it pains us to say it because NXT at one point was the biggest alternative to WWE programming because it felt different. It hit different. You had longer term storylines, you had things being told in a certain way, but the second it got to TV, things change. And you know, the Wednesday night wars with all due respect was a big reason why we're seeing this because the black and gold NXT couldn't compete. It, got its ass handed to him every single week. And then some, that's why you're seeing more and more of these guys get let go. Cause Vince saw that and says, these guys can't draw. We need to move on. We need to build these guys basically from scratch to work the WWE style, which yes, is a bad thing. But at the same time, we got to get guys that are draws for the next five, 10, 15 years rather than get guys that have had indie experience and guys who are 10, 12-year veterans, in the case of guys like Champa, 
Johnny Gargano, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, even Roderick Strong, who did sign an extension, but did also lose his NXT Cruiserweight Championship, which he helped kind of rebuild. But now that title's dead. And then brings up, what's the point of having 205 Live? It's just NXT's version of main event. You sit there, and you see all the stuff. And you wonder, what's this all leading to? Is now it's a true developmental system. And now, Fins basically says, hey, I'm giving you two extra hours of programming USA. Deal with it. Like It's not necessarily the best product in the world, but we're giving you extra content for your channel, which just recently lost, by the way, the NHL. And they recently shut down the NBC Sports Division, so now they don't have to worry about that. Maybe the dog show is the only thing they have to worry about now. So you get that extra two hours of programming on a Tuesday night. The WWE and USA are probably going to be fine with it not being a ratings getter. They're probably not happy about it, but they understand what they're getting now. Versus, oh, hey, the expectation is you're going to be on a level of Monday Night Raw or even Fox with SmackDown. When it's clearly you're not, it's now going to be a developmental show. Now, maybe in the next two to three years, we can see Vince say, all right, let's go ahead and move this back on the network, and I'm going to have so-and-so run it, and it's not going to be Triple H. In fact, I think Triple H is largely going to be done running operations behind the scenes for WWE, period, because he has absolutely lost the respect from Vince McMahon because of what happened in that Wednesday night war is Vince. He had to wave the white flag and surrender. He had to basically cover his own ass. He's never done that. He had to, because he was losing every single week to that program that aired out of Jacksonville, Florida during the pandemic. And we're getting beat like government mules type stuff. That's how bad that was. It was very much the opposite of the Monday Night War 2.0 between WWE and TNA. AEW immediately grabbed a fan base that was craving wrestling. And I'm talking wrestling, not sports entertainment. They got that. Now you get a situation with NXT where now you can say this is truly our developmental. It's not a indie darling dream match type thing. We're building for the future. A lot of these guys are young. Their bump cards aren't all that high. So why not get them in here young, teach them to work a certain style, and you can have these guys wrestle for 10, 12 to 15 years and give you a lot of money. And then down the road, you can probably release them. And they could retire off of the money they made in WWE. It sucks, but it's kind of a necessary evil when it comes right down to it in my heart of hearts. Because NXT, the black and gold NXT needed to die because it just sat there as a shell of its former self ever since Samoa Joe won the title, had to relinquish it. And then you had kind of that you kind of had that new paintball NXT era. It was time to end it. It was fun while it lasted, but it was inevitable because Vince McMahon doesn't want to see that 
be a failure. He wants to see his vision. So at the end of the day, that's only vision that matters. All right, that's going to about do it for the Cajun Strong Style Podcast. It's CD with you as always. And make sure, if you haven't already, make sure you leave a five-star review on iTunes and also on Spotify because Spotify actually has a rating system these days, which is mind-blowing in and of itself. So I'm looking forward to seeing how everything's going to go the rest of the way in January. End of the month, we got Royal Rumble 2022. So I'm looking forward to talking pro wrestling with you. Until next time, enjoy the wrestling. 